Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Aaron Arsvari, who's one of my very good friends and who is also a truly great writer. Um, but this is a weird podcast, though, because uh, we tried something new. Um, we decided to do an experimental sort of episode where we tried to ape the structure of the New Yorker fiction podcast. So we have Aaron read a story and then we discuss it. And that podcast, the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, is a great podcast, by the way, and you should listen to it. But I'm not, I'm not sure we did it the most amount of justice by only um, half imitating it. Uh, in that podcast, uh, people read a story by neither people involved in the conversation and then talk about that. Um, but regardless uh, of how we decided to do it with Aaron reading a story of his own, um, I think the episode is still good like the episode is still a success as a whole and i think the story he reads is is excellent um and the conversation afterwards is interesting if a little uneven in how it ends up being directed um i think you'll enjoy what we talk about today for its tangential nature if not for um it being my strongest appearance as an interviewer but uh maybe we recorded too late in the afternoon or maybe it's just strange to interview a friend about a story you already love anyway Here's some housekeeping. Um, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, if you could give us a rating and a review, that'd be wild. It really helps. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at House Conspiracy and visit our website to see how we can support you at houseconspiracy.org. Now, on to the show. Speaking about justifying uh, yourself, um, today we're going to be doing the podcast a little bit different, and you're going to be reading a story. Yes, yes um, I am. And your, your story is called, and what is it about? Uh, it, it's called Tomato, um, and it's about a, a Navy serviceman whose uh, acquaintance dies, and he, he tries to... Tries to put the zest back into his marriage. I, th I think that's all I'll reveal. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pretty good reveal. Um, and uh, this story was shortlisted for the Sydney Nielsen Prize? Is that um, Neil Miss Sydney. Neil Miss Sydney. Yeah, yeah, through Overland. That's a shout out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Good yeah. on the trip. Good the on trip, the trip. The trip won that award. The trip won that award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not... And, um, no. Not that film about the guys who go to Italy. Not that film, no. No, no, no. no. This, was, this was a short story. Mm, cool. Thanks for clarifying. Um, <laughs> and now, here's R&R Svari reading Tomato. Tomato by R&R Svari. He was genial. The rare kind of person who never objected much, and when he did, objected quietly in a kind of apathetic impotence. Possibly, he was the closest thing to what we might consider now to be evil or malevolent. He worked at a ticketing office for a large train station, covering two shifts, in the morning before sunrise during the hour of lazy milk trucks, and in the afternoon. He would walk there and back along the waterfront. He didn't need a car. His friend, Terry, passed away due to a pulmonary embolism. He got the news during the afternoon shift. When he closed the office, he was mindless, and he became stuck, 
sorting the same three rows of pamphlet timetables. And he sorted them, and he didn't say anything. His wife, Ingrid, was his pride and joy. He would call her that, pride and joy. When he got home, she was on the kitchen bench, and he took her out into the balcony to sun. How was your day, she said. I don't know. He went inside for a cup of tea and watched Ingrid from the kitchen. She'd begun to flower. He wondered when winter had ended. He came back outside and sat down and drank. I'm sorry, he said. I should have offered you some water. It's okay, she said. Do you want some water? I'm fine, she said. Are you okay? What's up? Nothing, he said. I'm fine. He drank again. There was sun damage crackling in the rim of his wife's pot from when he had left her out too long. He kept promising her a new one soon, something made from terracotta, something she could grow into and stretch out her toes. I got a call today from home, he said. Terry's passed away. That's awful, Ingrid said. I'm so sorry, are you okay? He looked at Ingrid. He looked at her flowers. He went to work the morning after and waved the train off when he was done. He stopped by a gardening warehouse to look over the plotting there, and he found one, the perfect one, the best one, big and rotund and tanned. He told the staffer at the checkout, it's for Ingrid, it's for my wife. When he got home, he brought it out from behind his back and surprised her with it, and that night he dug her up with his hands. He didn't even wear gloves. He washed his hands in the kitchen sink, the dirt in his nails. He thought about his wife on his hands, and Ingrid watched him from the kitchen bench. They didn't speak for the rest of the night. He didn't know why. They went to bed together, and she lay slumped along his chest so that her vines brushed up against his face, and dirt went through the bed again. He wasn't tired, but he didn't wake her. He was genial, the rare kind of person who didn't object to anything, and so on. In the morning, he brushed his wife back into her pot and watered her. He tipped a gentle glass over her. Do you want to talk about Terry, she said. What can you talk about with Terry, he said. You've been quiet about him, that's all. He was unhealthy. He didn't drink much water. What's that got to do with it, she said. I don't know. He didn't go outside much either. I think that's got to do with it. After work the next day, he went out to the warehouse again and looked at the pots. There were so many pots. Upon reflection, he concluded there was a better pot, this one, sea green and glazed, and it looked like it had been hand-painted. That was it, really, that someone may have taken the time and settled in and painted this boutique terracotta pot for him, for his wife. He bought it. It wasn't the same staffer, but still, he said, I'm back again. That night, he did the same thing. He brought the pot out from behind his back. Why'd you go and buy another one for, she said. I thought you would like it, he said. Look, it's nice. It is, she said. It is nice. You want to try it on? What, tonight? Of course tonight, he said. You don't want to? No, not really, she said. Maybe soon. I like this one for now. He looked down at the pot in his hands. She might have liked it. He liked it, that's for certain. There was nothing wrong with it. All right, he said, sometime soon. Geniality, rare kind of person. He watered Ingrid again. He watched her flowers all closed and yellow and bulbous. They were getting there. He laid her down into bed. He looked at Ingrid and he thought about it. He decided that he really liked Ingrid. 
I've changed my mind, he said, about Terry. That's the thing about Terry. What's the thing? He invited trauma like that into his life. He was dissatisfied with everything. He wasn't just happy, you know? He was the kind of person to complain about little things like that, like incorrect orders at restaurants, those kinds of things. You know, I'm happy. I'm glad you're happy, Ingrid said. I am happy. But you know, Terry never was. He put those thoughts out into the universe. It's fucked. What do you mean by that? You just have to be happy, that's what I mean. I don't know about that, honey, she said. He frequented the warehouse then and leered into public gardens and hotel lobbies where there were large glazed planters like colonnades. He decided then, in the city, the cement-molded planters with the palm fronds were his favorite. They were robust. He liked that. He liked that they were teeming with soil. He would take Ingrid out into the balcony for sun and spend tedious minutes measuring his height, the width of his waist, with and without clothing. He stood in the bathroom naked with the measuring tape. Do you want to try that planter now, he asked. Sure, she said, if you want. He dug her out into the sea green planter and trailed dirt over the kitchen bench. Again, he didn't wear gloves. Then she was in the planter and he looked at her there on the kitchen bench. It's nice, she said, do you like it? He didn't say anything. He just looked at her in the planter. He put her into bed then and went into the bathroom and rubbed down the dirt onto his body. He called into the warehouse and found a stone planter there, which he thought might hold a great deal of earth. And he crouched down by it and reached in, and he couldn't lay his palm flat against the bottom of it. He ordered one from the workers in storage and waited for them to lift down from the scaffolding. And he was talking to them, saying, you know, I really like tomatoes. I'm going to do that again. Yeah, it's <clears throat> He ordered one from the workers in storage and waited for them to lift it down from the scaffolding. And he was talking to them, saying, you know, I really like tomatoes. That's the plan, is to grow tomatoes, a whole bush of them, maybe three or four plants in the one planter, this planter. I remember, I think it was my auntie. My auntie was telling me she could never touch them, tomatoes. She said it was depression food. It was all they ate in the depression was tomatoes. But she was always a complainer, you know, a big complainer. Nothing was ever right. Me, I loved them. I wouldn't trade them for anything. He picked up a few bags of mulch as well, and they took it all over to the house. They took it up the stairs, too, and he thanked the workers, and they left. What's this, Ingrid said. I just thought it would be nice, he said. No, what is this? This is too much, honey. It's not for today, don't worry. He looked over at the immense planter on their balcony, and the three mulch bags all wet on the table there. You know, he said, maybe soon, sometime. He called work and told them he wouldn't be coming in because he was sick. Then he went out to the planter and opened a bag of mulch which he threw in so that the base of the planter was covered in dirt. He brought Ingrid outside with him. Let's just try it out. And he climbed into the planter himself and buried himself in mulch so that his knees were covered and there he sprouted. He remembered in that growing time his service in the Navy. He and Terry were in the sprawling Pacific when they saw the dinghy come out of the water. What's that, Terry, he said, because it looked like a seed there out on the water. He said that. It looks like a seed out on the water, don't you think? What was Terry saying then? He couldn't remember, only that mouth gaping over the ocean, Terry's mouth, hang down like a ham fillet flapping there, like a wet t-shirt. What was he saying? 
They pulled the woman out of the water. She said she was Sri Lankan. She was wrapped up in a wool blanket and she was sharp and her eyes were odd. The sailors took her then and came back for him and Terry. She wanted to kiss the hands of those two especially. They pulled her boat up on deck. She said she came from the Gombo and belonged to a group of astronomers there. To escape a drift of clouds one evening, they'd gone out on their boats and she neglected to tie. To escape a drift of clouds one evening, they had gone out on their boats and she neglected to tie down her boat to the others who were forming in a cluster in the unwieldy dark of the ocean. She'd been the first boat out onto the sea, but she'd been distracted looking up at the great fish there and its brightest star, Thommelhort. How the constellation had been completely flipped from one day to the next, as if some inquisitive finger had pushed all those stars from out of alignment and set them so that the fish lay belly up in heaven. When she finally set her telescope down, she'd been washed out of the sea away from her fellows, and she crouched in that boat from then, waiting. The astronomer thanked them, and she fell to sleep in a bunk down underneath the ship. Terry was saying something, but it was difficult for him to remember. But Terry's mouth was moving, and so were his hands. He tried to remember what Terry was saying from the hands. I think it's too good to be true what she's telling us, Terry, he said. They took the astronomer out into the deck one evening, up to her dinghy, and they made her get out all the equipment she had in there. They only found her blankets in the crude bed pile she slept in under the boat. She said that she'd lied. She was not an astronomer in the conventional sense. Rather, in Nagombo, she had a sister, another unconventional astronomer, and they were extremely jealous of one another. They would sneak out into the ocean and rearrange one another's favorite constellations from their dinghies. The astronomer's sister would recline on the top of her boat and use her cane to push around the various stars. The astronomer opted only to use her hands. This became a petty back and forth kind of argument for them. She'd been out on the ocean with her dinghy, as she'd told them, looking up at the great dead fish in heaven. The curious thing was not the inversion of these stars, but rather what was occurring or not occurring as it was within Aquarius. Someone, probably the astronomer's sister, had lost Sadakbia amid one of their arguments and it was now nestled somewhere in the dense catalogue of stars above them. Both sisters went out then along the dizzying ocean in their dinghies, looking for the misplaced star. The astronomer asked for help once more in lowering her dinghy out into the ocean, and before she crouched inside, beckoned once more to the sailors there. The astronomer asked for help once more in lowering her dinghy out into the ocean, and before she crouched inside, beckoned once more to the sailors there. She asked them for something of theirs as a decoy, a kind of dummy star, a cuckoo to place among the others to fool any amateurs looking toward Aquarius. And Terry was saying something and moving his hands and going toward the astronomer. She had a knife then, a kind of ski and do from within her blankets, and took up one of Terry's hands in hers, this small-boned woman, and she looked at him in the eyes and she turned her head as a fennec fox would when taking in the desert. Then she cut his little finger to the knuckle and took the digit into the boat with her and she left. He took Terry down into the infirmary and they sat there and he didn't stop shaking his head at Terry, but he was genial, the rare kind of person, etc. That was the real problem with Terry now that I think of it, he said. What was that, Ingrid said. That finger the Desi woman took from him, he said. He never got it back. So it's still up there. 
Still up there, he said, or she's just gone off with it. He was crouched in the planter, and the hooks of the vines coming up through his skin were new and green, and his whole body itched with the growth. This was the second day, and the phone had been ringing all morning. He'd missed work without reason, but if his colleagues could see him now. Ingrid looked down into the planter at him from the balcony table. She'd begun to fruit, and the little cherry tomatoes coming from her were new and green also. The days in the planter to follow were drawn out, and soon the telephone ringing stopped and all the concerns stopped, and he was in the moment in becoming a tomato, and all the life running along his body worked in unison, and his skin became turgid and jaundice and tenderness. Do you want to talk about Terry anymore? Ingrid said. No, I don't think so. You've gotten everything you need to out, she said. He looked up from the base of the planter with all the mulch around his mouth and his tongue through the fuzz of his beard. More or less, more or less, she said, that's good. How tall Ingrid was from the bottom of the planter, how elegant and calculated and how very much like a smiling woman. Do you want to try it out now, he said. Come into the planter with me. I don't know if I can get down there, she said. I think you can, he said. I think you can get down here. But she lay still upon the balcony table, only moved by the weak heaving of the air. You know, he said, I don't know if I can put my arms up there to reach you anymore. Are you trying? Of course, he said. But they fused, I think, to my waist and my chest. Oh, Ingrid, what's the matter? Nothing's the matter. There's nothing wrong. He could feel the aqueous churning of the liquid inside him and the dead seeds all hanging in his stomach. The next day he was swollen and red, and he'd plugged the top of the planter so that it was heavy and seasick with motion. His stalk was buried somewhere in the mulch beneath him to a flattened vine. Is this it, then, Ingrid? Is what it? I've always loved tomatoes, he said. Is this how it goes with plants? An endless kind of waiting game. I don't know what you mean. Waiting to be sunned and watered, for instance. I suppose you're right, my darling. Don't just ignore me. The telephone rang again. I'm not ignoring you, she said, but what can I say? What is there to say about being a plant? I don't know if I'm able to offer you any kind of insight into growing or drinking up liquid and minerals from the ground. At least say something positive. I don't know if I can. I really think you were in a better position before being human. I told you this was all too much, all of these planters. Now you've ruined it for yourself. Don't be that way, he said. Don't put those thoughts into the universe. The telephone went to message. I don't think I want to talk to you right now, she said. Fine, he said. They sat still and quiet there on the balcony. They sunned. The telephone rang again. He couldn't stand it whining like that. He thought that the telephone is whining. He tensed his liquefied body and shuddered around in the planter until it toppled and all the mulch with it. He dragged himself into the living room where the phone was and he held the little case of it to his bruised and leaking skin. Hello, he said. It's a boat. Please just speak directly. You're not a poet or anything like that. Wait, he said. Who is this? What kind of a story is that? The voice came. She must have been driven to her wits like that in the, um, in the sun. She must have been driven to her wits like that out in the sun, without food. She would have had plenty of time to look at the sky then. God, I can't stand the crazies. Who is this? He said. Why are you calling my apartment? 
I believe you've stunned my friend here, the voice came. I don't know if what you say is true or not, but my God, is it going to be a great story for the kids? The phone went dead then. He just lay there on the floor with his arms split from crawling out of the planter. Who is that on the phone, Ingrid said. I thought you weren't talking to me, he said. God, you're immature. He lay on the floor there for a while longer before getting the energy up to move, and he crawled out on his skinny elbows onto the balcony again and pulled himself into a chair. He looked at Ingrid and rubbed a thin red hand over his face. It was just some strange guy on the other end, he said. A strange guy? I don't know, he said. He was raving about all sorts of nonsense. I see. I'm going to make a tea, I think, he said. Do you need anything? A drink, Ingrid said. Some water. He got himself up onto his legs and moved into the kitchen. He left lashings of tomato juice inside the house from leaning up against the walls. He made himself a tea, and he tipped a glass of water over Ingrid also. They drank outside together, and he made the floor damp where he was sitting, but the sun dried him out quick and made his flesh powdery. These minor birds came onto the balcony with them and pecked at his skin and tore strips of tomato flesh from his body, but he didn't mind, genial, rare kind of person, etc. The skin was leathery enough that it could stand on its own. The sun had dried it out so much. So as much as he could, he encouraged the birds to take the vegetable flesh from off his skin. He even went so far as to start scooping it out of his arm with his free hand. He called it delicious. He said this to the birds. So in the story, you've got the narrator and you've got Ingrid, and mm. they're living together, but at, at the beginning of the story, Ingrid is a tomato plant. Yes. And at the end as well. Um, and at the end as well, yeah. And as, yeah, she, she's stagnant throughout, well, anyway. She, yeah, yeah, she's uh, present throughout the entire thing as, as a tomato plant, yes. Where did, where did that idea come from? How, how did you sort of jump to... Um, for like uh, a kind of like impromptu year, so um, at the end of 2015 and then toward the end of 2016, I lived on spaghetti. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, I love, this is a shout out to Raguletto spaghetti sauce as well. <laughs> That's the best spaghetti sauce in the world. Which one do you get? Um, I always, I get, a, I get two different types to get. Uh, red wine and garlic, mm -hmm. um, or the meatball flavor, which has made like a, a resurgence now. So that's that's the flavor of the month. Cool, um, great. Um, when I do this podcast was recorded during April of 2017, yeah. <laughs> when meatball flavored regular sauce was the flavor of was the month. Was the flavor of the month. I can confirm is mm. probably the sole member of the Raguletto fan club that um that that is the flavor of the month. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so for a, for a year I lived on spaghetti and practically nothing but. Um, and I like, not, not, not because I, I had no other choice, mind you. I just love this stuff. Um, it's so nice. Uh, and, and to the tomato sauce got me thinking about, about tomatoes and just my, my kind of love affair with them. Um, uh, and 
I, I think I think that that idea is kind of secondary to the the marriage aspect. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, for for me, I like kind of blurring like blurring concepts. So uh, platonic love and romantic love. Um, I always I always think about where where the kind of uh, beginning and ending of those or any any two kind of abstract concepts um, that are sort of related mm. um, kind of blur over so yeah that's I started thinking about my love for tomatoes and I started thinking about uh, romance and I started thinking about tomato plants being engaged and I, I think I think like because it's it's a real sensory thing as well. Like we used to keep tomato plants um, where I lived in Coffs Harbor, um, and there's, there's nothing like you, you pick up even even at the supermarket you can you can do it now. You pick up like a, a, a kind of um, uh, like a bunch of grouping a grouping of like uh, Roma tomatoes. And you smell the vines on them, you smell the tomato plant themselves, and there's something, yeah, something wonderfully natural and aromatic about it that you don't get with anything else. Um, and that, that includes spaghetti sauce mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and spaghetti. They're two separate things, but, but they, they continue. I don't know, like, the, the idea... The idea. Um, <clears throat> I realize it's somewhat abstract. It's yeah. It's it's about trying to yeah trying to find the human element in spaghetti, in tomatoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and I like I like doing that. I know you you know like like by what by what you've personally seen in my work. Um, uh, I do I do really enjoy giving things human sentience. Mm. Um, because I think it just creates an amazing divide. Um, divide how? Um, I was having some of this conversation a couple nights back in regard to dogs specifically. Um, Man's best friend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how we kind of tie them up in this discussion about loyalty and, and you know, that, that, they're, that they're human. A lot of people, when they talk about their dogs, they talk about their dogs talking to them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and their, and their dogs having feelings mm-hmm. and their dogs are dreaming or experiencing pain and that for me just is... as a trigger warning are you about to dispel this <laughs> <laughs> yes um yeah, I, I believe i think i believe it's 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 more projection than anything Ooh. um uh, my dog loves me i'm sure he does jonathan <laughs> Except for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, keep going. Except for you and your dog. Okay, um, you're talking yeah. about other people's dogs. So yeah, yeah, like I, I, I love my dog, I love my dog to death. Um, but, but. Uh, but I, I will never know my dog. <laughs> There's, there is such a, a world of difference between the two of us. Um, and this is quite, this is an, un- un- an unpopular conversation. No, to, let's have it. Have. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it is a lot of projection and, and a, a lot of it, a lot of it, I think, um, uh, 
because we we were talking about this earlier um, about the cap of our souls. Of our souls. Yes. Um, because there'll be times where I think about getting a cap because a cap will solve all the problems that I have in the, to do with like social interaction. But that's really just not the case. <laughs> um, I, I think I think by by yeah like at least at least for me maybe it will for other people. Okay, I, I want to sort of <clears throat> challenge that a little bit because I love my fucking dog. Um, <laughs> what is, what what do we project onto animals that we don't project onto other people or even characters in fiction or in art what what's the difference between what we're projecting onto a dog in regards to empathy and any and anything else do i understand the narrator of this story tomato more than i understand my dog um i mean look with with <laughs> with, 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 with tomato with tomato um i don't think that are you deflecting i don't think no, i'm not deflecting yet um <laughs> no no i i think with tomato um understanding the protagonist is probably not necessary fuck um, you i don't think i don't think so like like i think i think the the, the more you don't understand this person yeah, okay. the better um what about any character any character in in this case um well, that'd probably be ingrid mm, yeah she's a tomato plant <laughs> like like that's that's the that's the thing and i think i think she summarizes it pretty well she can't really speak about plants <laughs> like I, I, I think you were better off in the position that you were beforehand just being human mm. um and she like yeah I like I like Ingrid in this one actually. Now yeah. Think about it. She's she's wonderfully rational. <laughs> just like just dealing with the shit that her husband is going through. Is, she she is putting up with a lot. Putting up with story. so much in this um, story. This um, this guy is an incredibly self dishonest. Yes. Person. Yes. Yeah. 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 Who who's not not particularly uh, not particularly dealing with that well. Um, no, well, exactly. <laughs> Ingrid is though. Ingrid's, Ingrid, Ingrid is very patient. Is, Ingrid's really patient. It's just, uh, it's kind of cruising because she's a tomato plant. That's that's the thing. Like I, I um, with with animals. <clears throat> just looping back around to Thanks. that point because I, I wanted I wanted to talk about that. Um, I think. God, I think we can project what we project on them because they just don't get a say <laughs> they and and like it's it's a, such a such a bizarre relationship taking an animal into your life and looking after them it, it um, is strange and you like they they become they become part of the family but it's uh it's akin to kidnapping you know there, there is <laughs> and, like a lot of questionable <laughs> ethics in pet ownership oh i i yeah maybe um <laughs> just <laughs> i own i love my dog and i own yeah, the shit yeah, out of him I, yeah yeah and I, I i love my dog as well but we have to remember that they're not people um which which i think people people conflate the two too often animals and people um not not in any explicit way mind you like you'll, you'll never have someone walking down the street and say oh yeah that's 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 you know uh, that dog and that human there, Billy. Uh, 
they are exactly the same thing. Um, uh, it's it's more more under the surface, I think. Um, I'll have people disagreeing with me about that. Uh, bring them on. Bring them on. Uh, <laughs> we've got a caller on line yes, one. Yes, on line one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and and I, I think because because they don't get a say because you, you just get to bombard them with your emotional shit. Mm. Um, then they they kind of become like ideal little vessels, you know. Um, it's just, it's the same same for anything. Same for the anything that that. Uh, you own <laughs> um, can can easily just become this this vessel for your own psychic shit. What's the difference between having a dog and having a child? Oh man. Um, I have some yeah I have some weird views on child birth. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. What kind of what kind of camera angles are we talking? Um. <laughs> uh, no, it's. I, yeah, the, the more I think about it, the more, like, the more I kind of see children, the growing of children as a weird parasitical thing, um, and, and yes, that means so much coming from me, <laughs> but just from the outside, just at a distance, mm -hmm. the process itself is, again, just strangely invasive. Um, yes. when uh, these, yeah, as, as far as cells reproducing and then one day you find yourself in love with this thing inside you. I mean, allegedly. Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> look, look, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. If you, if you love something, you love something, but just from a distance that if that happened with any other thing, there, there would be major problems you do. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean... it's another person as there's, there's some kind of stretch to it. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that, that kind of ties into what I was talking about before with platonic um, and romantic love. Um, even, even like, like uh, lustful love, I suppose, um, uh, is there's this, there's this line that, uh, that, that we kind of acknowledge and ignore at the same time for a lot of things, but, but don't, um, don't really talk about in terms of uh, in terms of child rearing. <laughs> like this thing just pops up and then takes over. Um, it's a bit weird. It is a bit weird. It's a bit weird. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want kids, by the way. No. Anyone, any concerned like like listeners at home? I have no plans on the children thing. But you um, want a dog. I don't want a dog. You either. want a cat. I, I, yeah, well, I mean, like, I think about it in, in abstract terms. I really, yeah, like, I, I just don't know what the end goal is. <laughs> like, it just, it just sits there in the house and waits for me to return. I guess it's okay. But see, like, that's me projecting on it again. I no, go, see, now I feel really. uncomfortable in cat ownership. <laughs> Especially because you're in an apartment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not bringing a cat back into that apartment. No, no, God, no. It's not the kind of home you bring a cat back to? No, it's not. Any, yeah, you don't bring a cat back to any kind of home. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is a visual joke, but Tyler's rolling his eyes at me. <clears throat> Tyler, Tyler's upset that we're recording the second podcast at 4pm. Yeah. And that it, it's too late. 
no, it's way too late to be talking about this kind of stuff. Um, or too early. It's maybe we have middle ground. Yeah. Um, in terms of characters, what we project onto characters. Um, no, they, they don't really get a say in it either, and I suppose that's why it's a little more ethical. Um, because they uh, have nothing to say because they don't exist. Yeah, yeah, but at the same rate, it's not tied up in the same kind of pet discourse, you know. Pet discourse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my dog is the best dog in the world. No, my dog is the best <laughs> dog in the world. You don't get people saying that about their copy of Madame Bovary, you know. No, you do get writers saying that about their characters or their stories. I meet so few of those people. Dave Roberg is always calling me. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Um, uh, no, I, I, in complete honesty, though, I meet so few of those people. No, I, um, I agree. I Dave agree. included in that. Yeah. Um, uh, where where they, they talk about their characters. My character is the best character in the world. But it is interesting. My character talks <clears throat> to me. But there are writers who do talk like that. Like, like you know, like the characters... Here's here's a question. Here's how we turn this into a question. Mm. How do you sort of um, feel about writers who talk about that? That my characters have a mind of mind of my own, their own sort of thing. That's bullshit. Go on, please. That's such bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I agree. I the think characters. It's bullshit. Yeah. The characters don't mean shit um, unless you write them that way. <laughs> um, it's all coming from you, baby. Like like the, uh, I'm not a big fan of automatic writing mm -hmm. of um of kind of mind's eye writing i don't think that really works um <laughs> i i think and and i mean like there's a bit of personal um bias in there because that's my process i sit down and i i fret yeah that's all i do like it's, it's 90 it's 90 percent anxiety mm -hmm. and 10 percent putting and like a noun or a verb in the right place, um, yep. and yeah, and and I'm I'm bi I'm big on that. Um, <laughs> as far as characters having minds of their own, I really, really think that that's unhealthy. Um, <laughs> do you do you think it comes from? Do you think it's do you think it's unhealthy, or do you think it comes from like a lack of self awareness of what your subconscious is doing? Because the subconscious part of your brain is doing this, and yes. isn't isn't the difference really whether you're aware of which part? Look, I I, I in, in 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 the in the interest of being as exact as possible, I I think that it isn't an awareness. I think people are very much aware. In terms of actually expressing that, though, it's very difficult. Like like I I. Um, I, I don't think people are given the language to to express that. That's to express to ex to express that kind of feeling, like oh yes, my characters have a mind of their own. Um, uh, whereas I promptly <coughs> say that okay, like what like, like is is it is it you just just putting them into that that kind of situation because you yourself don't know your character. And you don't know how to express that without damaging yourself. Right, um, right. That's uh, yeah, and maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's about being more comfortable with yourself <laughs> as a writer. <laughs> 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 
and 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 learning learning to call yourself on your own bullshit um because yeah that happens so much um <laughs> in a lot of the, the the groups that i've had where we've exchanged stories and just stories about those groups in general you get a, a kind of person who argues back with with the critic that you know i i disagree with your interpretation from my work as soon as as soon as i put it out there um I mean, like the the work that I'm writing is is going to be for someone else reading it. Mm. It's not for me. No. <laughs> like I I love <laughs> I love doing it, but there's a part that I enjoy, and that's that's the the kind of like to be metaphorical the flower arrangement of it all, where you want to create some order out of this chaos. Right when the um, anxiety goes away and you're placing nouns and verbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that 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 golden kind of groove you get into where you know eating and sleeping and uh being happy just go away and <laughs> and you're you're there in the moment creating something um which which i enjoy in reflection i go i did very well then um some some people will not have that like like the discussion of their work afterward is always going to be a kind of attack on themselves you know um and i think that's the case for a lot of people who write think pieces <laughs> <laughs> hey how do you feel about think pieces are oh man um look i i think uh, <laughs> no, I, I truly, I truly do believe that um, the majority of us are, are too young to be writing memoir mm. um, yep. and, and think pieces in general. Like, holy <clears throat> shit, you know, um, it's, it's, it's very, it's very difficult to accumulate that kind of insightful experience of the course of say a year, right? Um, or, or even even after one event. Um, yeah, there's a... Huh. It's, it's about proximity bias and... Quite, quite possibly. I honestly, I honestly think I, I attribute it more to youth. Um, yeah. and, and like, like it's, you know, being, being young is great and the insights that you have as a young person sometimes can be very valuable mm. but we i think culturally as as writers people people in you know within our age bracket just i, I don't know i don't know what it is maybe maybe like we widespread just haven't developed a sense of nuance um i don't know if that has to do with writers I mean that's more. But I, uh, I mean, in in specific reference to writers, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like right. if anyone talking about what you know, not writing, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then that's that's me included. Like mm. I'm, I'm, uh, that's that's why I I struggle with with writing think pieces because yeah. the like I I just don't know if what I'm saying is accurate. Yeah. And I I think that you tread a very shaky ground when you do put something out like that, regardless if you believe it or not. Sometimes it's better just to shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> I, I, really, I really do think that sometimes. Yeah, I think um, the testing 
the testing of ideas is super important and um, I mean you and I sit around and have conversations to all hours testing ideas but and maybe maybe you agree with this it's the difference between what's useful for you and what's useful for the reader yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and does that that sort of fear that you have around I don't know if I'm right I don't know if what I'm putting out there is valuable like going back to the flower arranging part is part of why you don't do it because the enjoyable part of writing for you doesn't align with what writing memoir would be for you at this yeah, age yeah no I, I, I think so I think look there's a specific type of memoir that I'm trying to write which is practically akin to being a short story or a short piece of fiction mm -hmm. because um you know, on, on the one hand, I, I find it very difficult to, uh, to talk about myself in, within the medium. Um, because I'll always, I'll always want to just justify everything that I say uh, then and there to, to the person to be as pro proper as, as, as possible. With, with writing short stories as opposed to memoir, you can... You can have that wonderful ambiguity of, of some statements. Um, uh, like I think in, in this one, there's in Tomato, there's a line um, comes up and comes up a relatively big section, but it says um, uh, he he looked at Ingrid. He really liked Ingrid, um, and I always remember someone's initial reaction to that was, "Wait, isn't she his wife?" Yeah, um, <laughs> the line is, the line is, uh, geniality, rare kind of person. He watered Ingrid again. He watched her flowers all closed and yellow and bulbous. They were getting there. He laid her down into bed. He looked at Ingrid and he thought about it. He decided that he really liked Ingrid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which and is beautiful. Which is just, it's very nice. But it's, it's, a, it's a statement that kind of forces the reader to make a decision about this person as well. Um, uh, like, like in, in the, in the, in the sense that, you know, like who, who is this person? Like, right. why, why, why now have you only just looked at your wife and decided that you really like her? Um, uh, which, which I think is such a, such a bizarre thing to think in the context of any kind of union, any kind of relationship. You look at someone and go, yeah, you're okay. Or yes, I really do have. Like, like very strong feelings for this person. Is that kind of moment a moment you've ever had? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not as grandiose as that is in the, in the, in the piece. Um, uh, yeah, no, abs absolutely. Um, but, uh, like, expressing that in memoir is, is a different story. Just lifting it back around. Yeah. Because that's what we were talking well, about originally. Well, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, I went deeper no, rather no, than yeah, sideways. Yeah, no, the, like, the, um, uh, the, the, the trouble with, with memoir is I feel like justifying myself. Because you can't be ambiguous. Because, yeah, 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 yeah. And if, 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 if you can't say things deftly, I, I think that's a, that's the problem. That's my problem with writing memoir. I just want people to like me. Um, <laughs> but fuck dogs <laughs> but yeah yeah no fuck animals um uh, people see too much in them um they are they are they are interesting they're very interesting I like I like looking at um at David Attenborough documentaries and 
and then like like I see see things like grasshoppers mm-hmm. and and fennec foxes, uh, these just like bizarre bizarre creatures. Um, the cane toad, you know, the African bullfrog. These things are, are you know, you, you you look at them and if you if you observe them long enough, like everything, they kind of just fall apart. Um, and, and you can see them as being little machines rather than, rather than living creatures. Um, yeah, the, the, it's, and I, I love my dog. <laughs> I want to make that really clear. <laughs> I really do love my dog. Um, uh, but I, uh, I don't, I don't think he, he loves me. Um, he's, not, not he's, in the same way, not in the same expression because a dog just doesn't have the depth of consciousness or uh, yeah I, 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 I guess um, or because uh, you just don't trust it's them. a different well no 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 it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of love um, and maybe I'm selfish in that I I want it to be the exact same kind of love um, <laughs> but but I know it isn't mm. um, uh, and and I don't know what my dog thinks because I'm not my dog um, but couldn't you say that about anyone? Of course, but like there's like, like uh, I don't know why like, I'm fighting on this so much. I, I I totally agree with you. <laughs> you have to you have to you have to uh, kind of compromise somewhere um, uh, with with just like uh, the ambiguity of people's minds. Yeah, I have I have a rather um, uh, direct way of, of confronting that, where I will just come out and ask people what they're thinking about. Mm. Instead of, instead of being, you know, uh, how's it going? You ask your dog that. Oh, ask my dog that. Yeah. I I've, I've asked my dog that before, and it's the same response every time, which is just silence. <laughs> um, so how about when, that how about you, when you ask people? Oh, when I ask people, um, some people are, are very forward with it. Um, uh, I know. Yeah, I, I I think I think most of my friends are very forward with it. So others are, are not. Dodge the question entirely, mm. um, or or just want me to guess, which defeats the purpose of the question entirely. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, which is just silly. Don't ever tell someone to guess what you're thinking. Don't. Yeah, I'm not asking a question <laughs> I know the answer to. I also don't think anyone is important enough for that. <laughs> to have their thoughts to guessed out. Their, to have some to. The goal of someone to when when asked what they're thinking and then they go, you know, well you should know. Is that why we have those you know twenty you, is that why you have those twenty cue balls? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a substitute for someone asking what we're thinking about. Yes, yeah, yeah, the the, the magic eight ball mm. kind of yes, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that's also the I mean, with a response like that, that's that's probably a good plan of action because anything will do. Anything know. will do. Yeah. Um, so sort of looping back to the story, um, uh, there is like, it has an interesting sort of structure to it yeah. with the, with the story couched yeah. within the story and like the story couched within, I think a lot of writers using this sort of the surreal elements of having the tomato plant mm-hmm. being the wife. A, a lot of writers or maybe the obvious thing to do would be to, to cut to cut to realism or cut to another plant 
that lives yes. in another scenario. Yeah. Like uh, this, Fuck. this is this is Peter, <laughs> and he is dating a pumpkin vine. And he's from, he dating and, a pumpkin plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he remembers this oh, his whole life, whatever. Your story abstracts further. Mm. Um, with the constellations and the stars. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, which loops in with the backstory of Terry and um, the narrator as sort of um, com- comrades. They're, yeah, the the uh, Com- naval seamen, naval seamen, the sailors. Um, and uh, they are like kind of just well, they're kind of friends. I say they're kind of friends because the, the narrative doesn't know what to make of Terry. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're they're together. They're together a lot, a lot of the time in my head, I suppose. Um, and like, the narrator is, is always kind of evaluating Terry, mm-hmm. and and you know, evaluating them in, in terms of their own kind of mindset. It's really, it's kind of despicable. <laughs> um, uh, that's that's why that's why the story begins in its in its own way. Uh, in, in in the way that it sorry begins which is that kind of paragraph on the on how evil this man is yeah on how you're flagging it to the reader even though I remember when I first read this story I kind of saw that as well it's embolized well it's embolized I, like, I, I actually I look back on this and, and I'm hitting people over the head with that well it is but um, because because you are I read it kind of as a, a joke Almost like like <laughs> I, like a, a, a playful judgment on this character, but yeah. it isn't. By the end of the story, it isn't. No, no, it, it isn't. It isn't, and I think that's that's it. It's really strange how people read. It really <laughs> is. It's oh my god. I like that's that's why I'm I'm uh, I am like in a constant state of of like joy and sheer terror when, uh-huh. whenever I put something out because the the. People, people who read it are probably not going to understand it. Mm. Um, um, like because you're so because smart. They, well, no, not because, <laughs> not because I'm, I'm smart. No, 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 no. That's that's a that's different. That's a uh, for different arguments. That's a that's something I'll pull up. Not for this one. Um, <laughs> um, but um, uh, no, I I think I think people tend to again like with dogs. Unlike with cats, they see more meaning inside something than than what it actually is. Instead of just letting the story take them, you know, um, they 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 pour over um, the the meaning of, of, of this inclusion, and generally just don't take the the most immediate choice, mm-hmm. which is could it be that the text isn't trying to deceive us? Like it's it being honest. It's, it's this this story is being honest with me right now, you know, like, like and then then they go no that's silly, <laughs> that's silly. why would a story be honest with me? Well, no, we it's were, we were much born, deeper we were, than that. Well, we were born into an <laughs> ironic era, right? Yeah. Like that was the was and maybe receding now, a little bit towards sort of meta modernist new sincerity. But for a long time, irony is what you'd pick up. I suppose. I like. I the, the should probably be more of a flag for its irony, <laughs> like a like a, a banner or, or highlighted sections or within the novels that say this is ironic because there is an iron there is an irony <laughs> punctuation. Mark. Is that the uh, yeah? That's it's the, a the, square. It's 
like a oh, box. It's a yeah, box this, uh, full stop. There's obscure punctuation marks. Yeah, it never Very caught on. Screen time. <laughs> it's called page time. Print's not dead. <laughs> not yet. Um, uh, yeah, I. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it, it amazes me though that that's. I don't. I, I don't know why. Why as as a. I guess, I guess readers have all conclusively reached that point, like, I imagine... Of distrust. Of distrust for, for a text. Fake would they, news. Would they refuse to, sorry? Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they refuse just to take the, the text at, at face value, you know? When, when for, for, other, for other mediums, this is, this is what we have. Like, like with, with, with the news, like you, can, you can question it, you can interrogate it, interrogate where it's come from but with the text itself you you're, you're ingesting just the face value of that information mm. and and i don't know i don't know why like the someone would pick up my story and, and then immediately think yes this is this is ironic this how do you, is serious how do you feel about post-structuralism and sort of the the resulting schools of reading that sort of dominate the tertiary education and oh. like do you see them as as valuable or as things that obscure in, people from like reading the, your text as reading experience <laughs> do i see it as yeah do you see it as valuable to the reading experience or is it does it just serve to make what you're just trying to say directly at face value more obscure or more than it is or less honest than it is That's just a, a naive thought to, to myself. Account for what? Um, like account for this uh, obfuscation, <laughs> like when 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 people people do pick it up. Um, I try to be very clear. Mm. Well, you're incredibly minimalist. Yeah, 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 and and, and I don't I don't think I provide too much wriggle room with, with certain things, um, you know, uh, and uh, I. I'm always trying to force the reader into the situation that I want them to experience mm-hmm. with the work. Um, there's, there's not, there's not the kind of approach that, that some writers take up, but they, they want to create more of a, um, I don't know, more of an, like, let, let, leave it up to the reader's interpretation kind of, kind of thing. That works for ambiguity. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I, that's what I like about the, the insertions that, that talk about his feelings for Ingrid and and some of the sections of dialogue as well, but I I am I am very uh, very determined to make people see what I'm seeing in, in this situation. Kind of let the the discussion afterward be led by the events that have occurred in the story. You know, and then the the questions that crop up afterward because they're they're the things that I love. Um, they're the things I love about, um, in particular, uh, fantasy or the speculative fiction works, um, where you kind of take a concept and push it to its most radical extreme, um, uh, which which was 
in, in things like the novels or, or the the story of the BFG rather by by Roald Dahl. Yeah. Um, I think one of the one of the most interesting things in that story is you have this this giant yep. who blows dreams into children's ears, um, and like in in the like in more uh, questionable hands, this tool could become something awful, um, or or something not awful, but but. I guess uh, very difficult for society to cope with, you know. Um, uh, it's the same, you know. Like I, it's I, I like I like taking these concepts and, and kind of breaking them down. It's not just not just for Roald Dahl, but for anything. Um, uh, and that's that's why I think I, I I don't I don't read a lot of books, a lot of surrealist <laughs> work. No, 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 no. I I, I tend to I tend no, to. you read, read a lot. You do. I do read a lot in general. Um, I read I read a lot of Murakami, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's about the only person that I that I look at that you could kind of deem surrealist. Um, yeah, I, I read a lot of I read a lot of realism generally, um, and I I tend to watch non fictitious programming as well. <laughs> I'm I'm so I like really I am I am probably. Uh, the the most boring human alive, and I don't say that lightly, because because you, you've met some boring motherfuckers. Well, I've met so. some boring people, but but I I mean at, at least at the end of the day, maybe they can talk about what's what's happening culturally. <laughs> I I'm I'm so lost in in the the backlog of stuff that I have to get through when nothing nothing else matters. I've got I've got these these blinders on <laughs> so when you are deciding what you what you want to read um what what informs that decision then because if you haven't kept up with mm. the culture whatever that means now yes. um <laughs> what what is it that uh what is it that sort of dictates um that's an that's an extremely difficult question I don't know. I really don't know. I like. I. It's. It's a. It's a bit of a blind watchmaker situation with the books that I pick up to read. Um. Uh. You know because. I mean, unless um, unless unless a book is thrust at me. Unless a book is thrust at me, and then someone declares that it's it's so good, you have to read this. Um. You know there are very there are very few books that. Um, I, I will, I will take the chance on, I'm a, I'm a really, uh, really picky, uh, person at a bookstore yes. and, 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 and taking chances on new authors terrifies me, um, because I just, I just don't want to read anything bad. Um, I tend to, before, before I even pick up a book by, by any author, if, if it's recommended to me, I search the author up and I do like a complete scouring of the internet just so you, to, you case the author i case them absolutely um because i i just like uh am yeah like i i don't like if <laughs> i do i do read widely like you do read widely. <laughs> which is which is just nuts to say um uh, i i really do believe that i read widely um 
but as far as picking up anyone new, it's so difficult. Um, and I mean, look, it's, I, I do the, I do the cheap things, you know, I'll look at the cover of the book, I'll look at the blurb, I'll read the first few pages of it, I'll open up to a random page and start reading, and I'll go, okay, yeah, this isn't for me, it doesn't, doesn't matter, doesn't matter if it, the, the rest of that book is golden, with the, the, the small source material that I've, that I've looked at, I'll just put it down straight away, yeah. I mean, and it might, it might not impact what I'm, what I'm personally thinking about at the time, you know, um, and currently on the on the books I have um, more like a like a private investigator um, story like like going around in my head at the moment mm -hmm. um, uh, as well as having my fantasy piece on the back burner um, yeah like I, it's 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 difficult to say it's difficult to say how how exactly I managed to find these books in my life. Um, <laughs> they just they just turn up. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. I can't be more um, specific with that. Um, if I had to give people advice, all I'd say is just read. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I suppose that's why the advice we give in generally is pretty vague. Because uh, there's no, there's like, I don't think there's any method to it. No, there are there not are, anything that's been revealed to me anyway. <laughs> I mean, there are good things and bad things to do, but yes, yeah, for the most part, um, there's not much rhyme or reason. Um, jumping back to the story and sort of what mm. you said about being uh, being uh, forthright in sort of yes with feelings and whatnot in the story, it, it, the story is still ambiguous. Yeah, um, I I I like in. Just for the sake of the sake of this discussion, which, which well, extract would you? I, I, su I suppose in terms of if you consider reading to be like the amalgamation of symbols, mm. then it is the symbols themselves in the in this story that are um, the most oblique. Because you're right, like you understand, I suppose, the relationship between the two characters you understand Ingrid and the narrator to yeah. a certain extent yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know there's there seems to be a, a lot of history um, uh, yeah it's, it's there in that kind of part of the relationship where they're not being guided by romance anymore mm. yeah. um, or they, then they've they kind of have shared goals maybe 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 um, yeah I mean almost the story is kind of They've had the they they they're in that stage where they've they've developed their own sense of selves again, in a relationship where they're you know like they're they're just they're finally comfortable and I think that I think that's where the tension starts. <laughs> if there's if there's comfort involved, then then that's when that's when everything kind of goes downhill. Um. <laughs> and um, but I guess like yeah, I sort of routing to the question is mm. I guess the ambiguity and perhaps also the intrigue and perhaps also the thing you can't answer or would rather not answer mm. why why tomato plants why stars why this girl why you know like like the, it's an eclectic collection of symbols and scenes and the ambiguity comes why this here becomes and comes from why this here 
and why this next to mm-hmm. this? Not, yeah, it's not like the, the it's funny. <laughs> the human element is not straightforward, but it's understandable. It's passable. But yeah. the context, is, the, is these surreal contexts, are they specified? Are they simply a storytelling device that keeps us engaged? Are they just a bit of dissonance magic, like James Wood would say? Mm-hmm. What, what, what is it, Aaron Arsvari? What is it? <laughs> what does it mean? It, what do um, the numbers mean? <laughs> um, I, I, I think that it... I put them in there to to uh, to kind of kind of bring the strangeness of reality out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if that if that makes sense. Um, as for as for why you know the the story begins with the death of of an old naval friend and then continues into this kind of obsession a man develops with, with a gardening warehouse, you know, and and fixing the fixing his his life, I suppose, through kind of bonding and bonding with this, this tomato plant that he's that he's uh, kind of I suppose just trapped in marriage. <laughs> um and then, and then to bring in the the Sri Lankan woman and her sister, um, like it's <laughs> it's the 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 I, I this this is this is a story this is a story that that could easily be reframed into realism. Yes. I think that's, yes. Yeah. I think absolutely. That's why, I think that's why. Like it isn't. That's why you didn't. That's why it, it isn't. <laughs> like it's 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 so nice to kind of repurpose these these uh, kind of easy, easily readable um, and easily relatable situations into these kind of like these hellish landscapes where things things don't make sense. You know, like I it's. And this is this is why I think people when they read are just so so strange so weird, um, uh, because they some of them are completely fine with that uncanny element. You know they they go oh, so he's married to a tomato plant, and then they just move on and they go like, <laughs> you know it amazes me that people can be completely comfortable with their surroundings even within fiction. You know, because it's it's not it's not like it's not some uncategorized uh, you know deep within the jungles of the Amazon kind of plant. You know, it's a tomato plant, and it's it's a cherry tomato plant. I hope I kind of made that more clear than um, more clear than is is really expressed inside. The, I mean, the the I could yambleize and just say it, but um, those little flowers are what kind of tip me yeah. tip me off to that description. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's the, the mundanity of the, of the fruit is also feeds that, that, that horrifying element to me that, that at any point I could, you know, like, like eat and consume one of these things, you know, but displacing, displacing these objects is, is what 
um, what I what I want my I don't know what my what I what reality I want my work to disturb. You know, like the like pushing these things into different places. I suppose if that makes sense. I don't know if I don't know if it does. Um, like uh, it's hard to it's hard to. Well, you, you, that. you're describing an, an experiential element of the work. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, all but, fiction is, but, but, mm. um, I think it's, I think it is a good enough answer to say, hey, this was a decision I made for the reader's experience, and I think it works. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Sidney yeah. Mielma thinks it works. Sidney <laughs> Mielma thought it worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the judges did, anyway. And I've had some, I've had some really nice things said about this story. It's too. a good story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for there's reading. A lot, there's a lot going through my mind with this story. Yes, um, and, yeah. And, and uh, that, that probably won't go through the minds of other people is what, is what I mean to say. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's, this is what I'm trying to do and there's what people will ultimately take out of it. Before. Um, I have no idea about <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Before we, before we, um, wrap up. Um, you are known to stew on your work for a long time. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned sort of the lot, the long period of eating only spaghetti. Mm. How long did um tomato take, sort of from conception, from, yeah, conception to completion. to submission to um either class or uh, the prize? Um. I mean, I, I've had this idea in my head for a good while. Thinking about it is the most time-consuming thing. Yes. Um, and I wrote, wrote half of it. Um, like, 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 I wrote half of it pretty much over the course of like three to four weeks. And then, and then, like a, like the secondary element took the rest of that time off. I think it took me about thirteen weeks. Okay. Um, and I know that's that's not nearly as long as some people spend on their on their pieces, but um, if I had to, if I had to, like, like <laughs> kind of split that time up between just fucking thinking about this story and actually putting the words onto the page, um, it would pretty much be a 90% 10% split, you know, where I, I just, I kind of, I let these things sit in my mind and just, like, swish them around. I'll, I'll write the, the characters down over and over again, uh, kind of like, like, just like a fucking madman, you know, and, and think about what those, what those words mean, <laughs> you know, um, what, who they are and, and what they are. Um, before even before even thinking about how I'm going to set it up, before even thinking about um, uh, drafting and redrafting, um, there's kind of a there's a kind of like a calligraphic um, that as well. I think so. Um, sure. uh, element to it where I want all like I want my mind to be in the right right space. And a lot of that is building building my mind into that mindset so that when I sit down to write it, it is okay and it feels okay.
and then there's the editing process, which is which is different because then it's it's just me like um slicing it up again. Yeah. Um, and then, then putting what's left back together. Yeah. 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 One fluid movement and then an absolute car crash in the end. <laughs> well, uh, the story came out relatively unscathed. Yes, yeah, um, which I'm glad about. Yeah, thanks for reading it to us. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, there's nowhere people can sort of find you online or anything, is there? You're sort of a... Not yet, I'm a bit of a recluse. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't... Uh, <laughs> it's, again, I don't like... And like sharing that, that part of my life, it's mine. <laughs> Do you have a Tumblr blog we don't know about? Mm, no one would be able to find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good threat to end the podcast on. Um, yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Aaron. Arasvari underscore drunk is my Twitter. There you go. That's um, your Twitter. You yeah, usually yeah, post yeah. pictures of fish. Generally, generally, yes, yeah. Or I'll I'll put like like the. The reproductions of what people say uh, up on there. Um, yes, I'm awfully fond of doing that. Uh, if you want to know what's on my mind, don't go to my Twitter page. <laughs> you won't find anything inside there. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. um, just... Well, on that eerie note, <laughs> thanks for being here. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy and produced by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. If you have feedback or you want to say hi, if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.